I think that that's just been my job is I've just been constantly surprising myself and constantly showing myself what I'm capable of. And, yep. and I think that's by far the most powerful part of my entire career. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome to the Kathy Heller podcast. This show is meant to be a guide for you. I want to be that mentor who can hold your hand through this journey. I know that there are so many twists and turns in navigating not only what is happening in our mind, but also understanding strategically how we want to get from where we are to where we want to go. In the show, we're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day, that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I wanna be your friend, I wanna be your mentor, I wanna show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful, what are the tools and strategies, what are the mindset shifts that have helped me, and what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are? How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life. And I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people. It will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us, by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourselves, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller Podcast. We have such a fun episode today. Sona Mostessian is here. She is such a blast. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. It's one of my favorites we've ever done. Before we dive in, I just want to let you know that next week, next week, starting January 23rd, I'm doing a free five-day workshop called Most Abundant Year. You have got to grab your seat. It is free. I'll be live with you every single day next week. And we'll be talking about how 2023 can be the year, how 2023 can actually be the life that you've always wanted to live can happen this year, that you can look back, come next New Year's and say, 2023 was indeed the best year of my life. And here's why. I was living a sense of my purpose every day. I was making more money than ever. All these incredible opportunities happen. We want that to be you this year. So if you want to sign up for the workshop, it is free. Just go to kathyheller.com slash workshop, and we will see you live starting next Monday, January 23rd. I cannot wait. All right. Well, today you're going to love this conversation because the delightful Sona Mosesian is here. You've probably seen her on TV with Conan O'Brien because she's been his personal assistant for over a decade. And even though she didn't have plans to be on TV, she has ended up on episodes of Conan, The Tonight Show, Conan in America, and the documentary Conan O'Brien Can't Stop. She's also a New York Times bestselling author. Last year, she released her incredible book called The World's Worst Assistant. It's completely hilarious, and it's an irreverent guide for how to become a terrible yet unfireable employee and get away with doing the bare minimum work. 
It's a mixture of how-tos like how to nap at work and how to watch TV at your desk and tips for becoming untouchable and incredible personal stories from her many, many years working for Conan that put their adorable closeness and professional dysfunction on display. Plus, it has fun illustrations and comics and photos. You're just going to be so entertained. Do yourself a favor and get a copy. And you can get a copy for someone that you love. I actually bought this book first for my husband and then couldn't help but also want to read it too. Also, go listen to the podcast that Sona co-hosts with Conan and their producer, Matt Gorley. It's called Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and it's basically a weekly opportunity for Conan to hang out with the people he enjoys most and perhaps find some real friendship along the way. They've had amazing guests on like Bill Burr, Kevin Nealon, Dana Carvey, Tig Notaro, Jeff Goldblum, Paul Rudd, just so much good stuff over there. It was so fun to hear Sona's story of how this all came to fruition. And I just love her philosophy on how she is open to anything and grateful in the moment as it comes. She has just so much love for Conan after all these years. It was just so great to hear behind the scenes of how all of this has evolved. And they have such a magical dynamic. I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer. Without further ado, please welcome the extraordinary Sona Mobsessian. Sona, I am so happy that you are here today. I really was looking forward to talking with you. As I told you right before we officially started, I get a lot of books because of the podcast, but your book is a book that I happen to have bought. I thought it was like just such a cool, just your story and the way you tell your story. Obviously you're a great writer. So the whole thing is really a fun thing. So I'm really happy you're here. I want to dive in before we get to the book, which really we're kind of talking about the book the whole time because the book is your journey. But before we even get there, I want to just give listeners some context of who you are and what you were doing before you were this person who is working in, in the world you're in now and writing the books and doing all the things. Take us back a little bit. When did you even know in your life that you wanted to be moving in this direction? Well, I grew up in LA. I'm born and raised in LA. So the entertainment industry was always just a grasp away, but I, I didn't come from that background. I mean, my parents are immigrants and we are not entertainment people. So it always seemed like something I really wanted to do, but it was just barely outside of my grasp. And then when I got into college, I just remember doing all the internships I possibly could and trying everything I could to just kind of get into this industry. Cause I always loved TV and I always wanted to work in TV. So that just became the goal. So that's sort of, I guess my origin story. I wish it was more exciting. I think it's really exciting in the sense that it sounds a lot like a lot of people's lives. And what I love about that is from the ordinary things can become extraordinary. Right. And so yeah. You then, you went on to have a really fun, creative adventure. Yes. Tell us the first sort of, and now we're, we're kind of getting into what becomes the book, but what was sort of the beginning breakthrough where you're like, one of the first moments you're like, I can't believe I'm sitting here doing this. Like, how did I get here? What was one of those first things? I mean, I think I have that moment. I've had that moment since I started, since I started in TV. So my first I think the most exciting internship I had when I was in college was I interned at NBC, which then eventually got me into the page program. But I remember even at NBC, I was going through VHS tapes of the biggest loser and I was organizing them. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, these are rough cuts of the biggest loser. Like back then that was amazing. Like how fun is this that I'm watching this, right? How fun is this that I get to do this? And, and so it was, I think that over time I've gotten 
obviously more used to it. I don't think VHS tapes of The Biggest Loser would excite me as much today as they did, you know, almost 20 years ago when I first started in TV. But I think that there have been so many moments like that. I think the biggest for me was probably when we were at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I think that was one of those moments where I was like, surreal. what am I doing here? Why am I here? It's and I'm just surreal. expecting someone to come and be like, ma'am, you don't belong right. here. And we're going to have to please exit. <laughs> yeah. So we've hinted at it a couple of times, but you went on to work with and for Conan and this started around 2009, right? That you got that big job. So what happened in order for you, do you think, to get that job? And let me ask it to you in two ways. Like what actually happened, but what do you think happened internally that actually made you available, that made you be the person that he perceived energetically as like, this is the person? Because there's usually what happens, but then there's usually what happened inside of us that allowed someone to perceive us differently, that allowed the world to kind of show up in a different way because we changed or something inside of us changed. So I'm curious about, about that. I love that question. I think because that's sort of been the through line for my entire life into how I got here. I think that it's always been like, oh, TV is too hard to get into. And then I just tried and then something worked out and it happened. In college, I was on the speech team and, you know, I was on a really good team and they were like, you can become a national speech champion. When I first started, I was like, I don't think I can. And then as the year progressed, I was like, I can't settle for anything less than becoming a national speech champion. Like it just, something happens over time where I start off thinking, oh, that's going to be really hard. I don't think I'm qualified for that. And then over time, because I push myself and I do it, I get to the point where I'm like, no, 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 that's where I should be. And that's what I should be doing. So well said, I think that with Conan, you know, I started working at NBC and already that was a huge thing for me. And I think these little moments are what build my confidence. So I remember when I heard Conan was coming to LA to shoot a show, he was moving from New York. People were like, well, what are you going to do after you're done at NBC? And I would say so confidently, I would say, I'm going to work for Conan O'Brien. Like I just said it so confidently. And I, I don't know why I felt that I had that, that I was going to get into that. But, and then I just started talking to the right people at work. I was working for the same network. So I talked to HR. I applied to be a PA for his, his show. I talked to anybody who was like in his peripheral, like someone who had just met him or someone I knew who I worked with, who worked on his show. And I was like, please, please help me get a job on this show. And it just worked out. And, you know, if you asked me when I first started working in TV, if I would be working for Conan O'Brien, it would be so outside the realm of possibility, but somehow I had built up my confidence so much that it got to a point where I was like, no, that's the job I want. And that's the job I'm going to go for. Oh and that is gold for people to hear. It's yeah. gold. It was gold for me to recognize. I think it was really important for me. And I think that that's just been my job is I've just been constantly surprising myself and constantly showing myself what I'm capable of. And yep. and I think that's by far the most powerful part of my entire career. Absolutely. I think that what we fail to sometimes see is that it's never the job or the money or the thing or the praise. It's more who we become in realizing our capacity for more courage or more belief, right? That feeling of satisfaction is everything. 
So what's also really cool is not only did you wind up getting that job, but because of you and him and the way you were available, that job, which could have just been kind of limited to a certain thing. Yeah. You became like, you became visible. It became this playful, hilarious thing where the world became aware of his assistant. It's like, how many people in the world are big, right? Famous. Yeah. We have no clue who their assistant is. That's not even something we would assume we would know. Yeah. And then there are certain people where your confidence, your courage, your creativity, your playfulness, the job turns into something so much bigger than what the job was. Like who he hired, what he hired for, you surprised everyone. It was like, oh, actually, because I'm this, we're going to have this level of relationship. So let's talk about what that felt like and explain to people who maybe don't know um, what I'm talking about and what it felt like from, from your perspective. Well, I think you're right. I think people look at the job of being an assistant as a stepping stone to something else. And usually it is. And if you have bigger sort of aspirations and ambitions, you don't want to have to like be worried about somebody else for the entirety of your career. But there are people who are career assistants and love it. And I met those people and I was always so fascinated with them when I first met them. I was like, how is this, you know, not to sound mean, but how is this fulfilling for you? And after having done it for as long as I did it, I realized why it's so fulfilling. And I, I started off as his assistant and I'm basically, I'm, I was his only assistant for a really long time. And we just started having this relationship. And obviously most of the credit goes to Conan. Cause I think that he's just so comfortable with himself and so comfortable with his position in the world of comedy to be able to allow people around him to also be part of whatever he's right he can be generous because he's very secure so he's generous to other people yeah 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 yeah. like it's not like he was like well I can't put my assistant on camera what if people like her more because that he knew that was not gonna happen (laughs) so you know it was like dabbling a little he would put me on camera and I think that he really liked that I you know performing was never the goal for me and it still isn't if the podcast and working for Conan just sort of disappears then I'm just gonna go right back to just obscurity like becoming a a personality is is not the goal for me and it never has been and I think that that was what he liked about it so he'd put me on camera and then we'd have fun and then we'd just be goofy and then I'd just go right back to getting him his coffee and getting him his lunch order. And I loved it. And I was happy with it. And I got to go to work every day and I got to laugh every day and I still do. So I think that a lot of the credit goes to him because I think that with him, he looks for comedy anywhere, like any comedian. And he just saw potential in me and allowed me to just kind of be part of this thing that he has. And yeah. it, it's been so much fun. Yeah, it's so much fun. Uh, you keep using that word and it is, and it's fun to listen to because there's no rigidity that I think sometimes people don't realize that they're living in lack, but they are. And why? Because they're so hell bent on needing something to be a certain way. And until that thing is a certain way, they can't have fun. Yeah. Whereby... Everything you're saying so far, even looking at the footage from The Biggest Loser is like, oh, this is fun. Like, I'm an assistant. I'm not an assistant because in order to be an assistant, I can only enjoy this for what it's going to bring later. It's like, no, I'm having fun being an assistant. It's like, oh, because I have that attitude now, he's 
he's responding to the fact that I have that attitude. And now he's putting me on camera. Oh, and even then I don't have a need now. I'm not attached to the outcome of like, that has to turn into this. Like, no, I'll go back to doing the call. It's fun. And that's it. It's like when we're busy right now, enjoying our life and having fun, it's the jackpot. And then things just happen to like be so much easier, right? It's like, we're, it's we're in this rhythm rather than waiting for this next thing. And now you can't have fun because you have to wait and see what happens because you can only have fun when this next thing turns into the next thing. And it's just like, you're both like that. He and you have that energy of like, oh, I thought right now, I thought being at this McDonald's drive-thru was the gift, right? No, <laughs> right? It isn't because I have four bits about the McDonald's drive. Like I'm enjoying this. Yeah. Right? That's like a very like Larry David thing too. I feel like everything is funny and everything is already the joke. So then all this material gets created because it's like, don't you see what's happening in line at Starbucks? Like this is hysterical. Yeah. It's like, then you don't need to sit down. And and it's like you said about your childhood. You're like, I wish I had some like extraordinary story. And it's like, no, that's what's the gift. Everyone could be having so much more fun in their very ordinary life. And you just seem to do so. So I went ahead ahead and you wrote this book called The World's Worst Assistant, which did so well. Why did you want to call it The World's Worst Assistant? What was sort of the point? Like when, when thinking about what readers would walk away with, what was your goal? What were you hoping that they would take away? Well, I think that when people think of assistants, especially for entertainment, for people who work in entertainment, I think that they think about this overworked, angry, bitter person who's just on call 24 hours a day. And that's true. It's, it's true for a a lot of people. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to say that it's not, but that's what the definition was. And that's what I went into thinking what my job was going to be like. And then I just completely disregarded all of that, any sort of definition that existed before I became an assistant just kind of went out the window. And I think in that sense, I'm the world's worst assistant because I don't put his needs above mine. You know, I've set boundaries and he respects those boundaries. I sometimes forget to do things and I just sort of own up to them instead of coming up with some sort of excuse as to what happened. (laughs) So, you know, I think that in that sense, I'm the world's worst assistant because I don't adhere to any sort of definition that existed. But going back to what you were saying about having fun, you know, I had fun as an assistant, but I've also had fun at every job that I've had. And I think that that was what was most important to me. And there've been jobs that I've quit because I was miserable at them. And so for me, the most important thing was, am I working with people I like? And am I doing something that I'm going to enjoy doing? And will I enjoy going to work? And those are the things that matter the most to me. And I've lived paycheck to paycheck and I could have gotten jobs that paid more, but I compromised that just for my own mental well-being. And I think it's the best decision that I've made. It's so good. It reminds me, my a friend of mine, she's also like a mentor, but she's become like a good friend over the last few years. Sherry Salata is her name. She was a PA at the Oprah Winfrey show. And before she was a PA, she uh, had a job in advertising and she got laid off. And then she was a manager at 7-Eleven and waiting for the next ad job to come through. And there was a resume she had sent to the Oprah 
show and they were cleaning out a closet and they were like, can you come in to do some seasonal work? You know, advertising, we need some promos done. Can you just work for a few weeks? So she said, yeah. And she had a lot of fun. And she went from being a PA in this promo department to doing the next thing. And within a few years, I mean, it wasn't 10 years. It was like a few years. She became the executive producer of Oprah. Oh my God. And she became the president of Harpo. And then she became the president of OWN and started the network. And she had literally been at 7-Eleven the day before she got the first job. And it's the same. I feel like you guys should meet because it's very similar. Not that you're like the president of NBC, but you have- You've allowed for so much potential to come in, right? Yeah. From something very similar where she was like, I literally got there for those three weeks and thought, this is fun. I'm doing this for three weeks. And then I got noticed because people were like, you're having so much fun. Like, you want to do something else? Absolutely. And the next thing it was like, do you want to be the executive producer? You're so (laughs) present. You're so aligned. You're so happy. And it was like, okay, sure. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. I really do. I relate to that a lot. And I think that's an incredible story. I absolutely love that. I'm going to look her up after we're done. She's adorable. Yeah, it's an incredible story. And it reminds me of you. And it's a very rare thing to meet people who can be very present and feel all of that like joy from what they're doing without constantly feeling because it's like, you don't know who's watching. You don't know who's perceiving you. You don't know what's happening right now, right now, by being all in in this thing, what doors could open, right? Right. And so I'm curious what you think. Now let's look at somebody who's on the outside looking in. Okay, now let's look at somebody. There's a lot of these somebodies in Hollywood. Let's use that as an example, who they want to be where you are. They want to get that assistant job. They want to be Sherry Salata, right? And they just keep coming up blank. Like they can't quite get in. They can't. What advice do you have? What do you think might be what we're deciphering from this story? Like, why? Why are they not getting the job? What would help them to crack, you know, the code and get into the system that you think might be a helpful thing to think about? Well, I think that the best thing that I did for myself, and this is what I tell people when I talk to them about it, is to be open to everything. So my thing was, I just wanted to work in TV But if you asked me what I want to do in TV, I would have just been like, I don't know, uh, scheduling. Like I just want to be in it, which is why I was so excited about everything because I just didn't have, I didn't have tunnel vision. I wasn't like, I want to be a writer. I want to be an executive. I didn't have that going into it. So when I became a page, I remember this assignment came up in the events department and my page director at the time, she was like, I think you'd be good for that. And I was like, events, I don't know anything about events. I just like, what am I going to do in events? And I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, what events, like corporate events, like that sounds boring, but I did it. I applied for it. I got it. And it turned out to be the best thing for me because events is basically, you're just throwing parties, but more than that, you're meeting people. So I was in charge of the list for a lot of parties. So when I would, you know, when an executive would call me and they'd be like, can you put this person on a list? I'd be like, yeah, they'd be like, great job. And I'm like, all I did was do what you told me. I'm not going to not put someone's name on the list. So cool. So I instantly just gained a lot of favor with people that I interacted with just because I allowed entry into these events, these parties, these premiere parties, these press conferences. And that's how I got to know people 
who then would eventually help me get my job was because, you know, I helped them do travel for somebody to get to a press conference. And that went a long way for them, even though on my end, it was just me doing my job, but yeah. they, they really just helped me out when I needed them to. So, and that's been the thing with Conan. He's like, do you want to do this taped piece? You know? And I'm like, yeah, sure. That sounds fine. And then he'll be like, do you want to go to this event? I'll be like, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. Do you want to do this podcast? Yeah. That sounds like fun. So yeah. a lot of, a lot of the things have been I didn't have a plan. I knew on a bit, a big picture way, what I wanted to do with my life, but I didn't have specifics. And I, everything that sort of came my way, I was like, yeah, I could do that. That sounds cool. And that to me made all the difference. So I think that whenever I talk to people, I tell them to just kind of be open to anything. Yeah, I that attitude that that's the is the best thing that you can do for yourself. Yeah, that attitude is gold. And I think what we're talking about, which makes that really a big, big idea. I think people have this like fraud they walk around with. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I, I feel yeah. like an imposter. I feel like I would fail. Right. And so because they don't trust that they can problem solve or they think someone needs perfect, they just say, no, no, I can't. And really no one, no one at any job knows it perfectly. And yet it's like the quality of leadership. Like I'll figure it out. I'll problem solve my way through it. That opens a lot of doors. And I want to give a shout out to my producer of my podcast. I always say that to her, that when we started, I mean, we started with zero. We didn't have a single Instagram follower. We didn't know what we were doing. It turned out to be a really big thing that, that, you know, kind of led us to so many incredible conversations like this. You know, we've sat here with Matthew McConaughey and Deepak Chopra, and we, we just interviewed Chelsea Clinton and Ralph Macchio. Like it's just the funnest freaking, it's just the living room that keeps on giving, right? Yeah. But we didn't know that. But what what I did always say about her, and I've said it to her, is that we, we started and I would say, hey, Emma, because uh, she was literally just graduating from BU, like 23 years old. Like she wasn't a publicist. She, I was like, you think we could book someone? And she's like, sure, why not? I'll reach out. Like I'll <laughs> dig around and I'll find somebody's address. Hey, Emma, do you think that we could create like a live event now? And she's like, yeah, let's figure that out. And like, she was never, there was nothing about her that was like anxious about it. It was just, yeah. let's just figure that out. Next thing you know, it's been six years and I can't even, I'm like, can't believe you've worked, you've stayed here. And it's like, well, it, she's just continued to grow and the show has grown and who knows? I mean, I feel like we're going to have an even bigger frontier. So I love that. Yeah. I want to ask you about your podcast with Conan because Conan O'Brien needs a friend. The question is this, what is it like for you and help us understand because the landscape has changed so much, right? Everyone used to sit around the TV and we'd watch things on TV, especially yeah. linear networks. Like, are you home Thursday night? Obviously, I'm watching Jennifer Aniston. I'm watching Friends. I'm watching. And then things started changing. We started watching content on our phone in short yeah. form. We're like, what is happening to TV? So he's had a whole bunch of different versions of his TV show, right? And then started doing digital stuff, right? Having yeah. a podcast. From your perspective, being inside of it, how has it felt, right? I'm sure going through some of that would felt a little bit like an earthquake. Like, wait, wait a minute, like someone's moving all of this. Is this going to survive? But then there's been some, I'm sure, new fruit that has grown. So from your perspective, tell me about podcasting. Tell me about podcasting as it relates to the TV show, especially when it was in its heyday. And what has that been like for you guys to experience? And where do you think the trend is sort of going? I'm just curious yeah. about that whole arc, because I think that that's 
a reality that everyone is dealing with right now. It's, I think it's fascinating. I do. Cause I started working in TV after sort of the like friends, Frasier era, you know, I started working when the office was on the air and the office was getting like, relatively speaking, very bad ratings compared to what NBC used to get, but they were thrilled about it because the pool had shrunk. So I started working in TV around the time when the digital world started becoming a lot more important. And so when I started working for Conan on The Tonight Show, I remember his digital presence was very small. You know, I mean, he had like, I think he had one guy who worked in the digital. Yeah, this was the early world. days of that. Yeah, yeah. this is, and if it, it's 2009, so it was like, why do we need to put any sort of effort yeah. into digital? And then when he moved to TBS, they started to build a team. So he started to build a digital team. And I remember him always saying, he's like, one day we're going to work for you guys. You know, the show is not going to be the main thing anymore, but the digital presence is. And he had the foresight to, to know that. And that's kind of exactly what happened. So we did the show and the digital sort of aspect of it, the, the views we got on YouTube, that seemed to be so much more valuable than let's say the ratings that we were getting on this, you know, airing the same day. So I think he never thought about going into podcasting, but when he did, it felt like such a natural fit for him because he was already interviewing for so long and now he could extend those interviews. But I don't think anybody anticipated how much he would love it and how big it would get. And I think that when he first asked me to do it, I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. But if you told me that I'd, I'd be doing live podcast recordings at like the beacon theater in New York in front of 3000 people, I'd be like hard pass. (laughs) You know what? I'd be like, I do not want to do that. That sounds awful. But again, like everything else, I was like, well, I I have to do this. And so you do it. And then you're like, wow, that was an incredible thing to have the opportunity to do. It it is. I mean, it's just been so much fun to just watch how everything has changed. It is. It really is. And I think it was like a really fun time to be in television and to also just to just see the transition for everything. And I'm so, I don't, I sound like a mother, but like, and I don't mean it that way, but I guess I'm proud of any human who has the capacity to enjoy the adventure of it because a lot of people missed out on that transition because they made a wrong decision because they decided that doesn't sound sexy. Who wants digital when I could have NBC? And it's because you guys had the willingness to just keep having fun. Right. Yeah. And what it really is, it goes back to what you said. You gave him a compliment that he, you didn't say it in these words, but he's not an egomaniac, right? Right, Like, and why that's also a, a key factor here is because he doesn't require certain things to happen in order to feel good about himself, right? So whether yes. it was TBS or this show or podcast, it's like, cool, let's just roll the dice. Well, so many people missed out because they had a hard and fast identity around, I don't do that. I do TV. It's like, guess what? TV has left the stage. It's gone. The train yeah. has left the station. And yeah. I think when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s, the thing was to be on TV. Well, all of a sudden now people consume more content than ever, but it's not on TV. It's Mm -hmm. on their freaking phone and it's different. And what's so cool about the experience of the Beacon Theater is that what's so beautiful that he can do on the podcast that you can experience through a podcast is intimacy. Yes, You have an intimate relationship. Somebody's listening to you 
in their ears on their commute, they become familiar in a way that they don't get that from TV. There's no fourth wall on a podcast. It's different. Now, all of a sudden he has a real community in such a more potent way. So what has happened with the podcast, right? Hasn't it gone on to be a whole network of other shows and things like that? Yeah. So I think that once he got his podcast off the ground, then Andy Richter got one. Then we like started to build this network of his podcast world. So he went from being a TV guy to being a podcast guy with all these podcasts that kind of fit in with the comedy sensibility that he had built over the last like 30 years. Yeah. So it was just like really cool to see. And then eventually Sirius came into it. So then now we're like part of the Sirius family, which is awesome. But I think that what has been so funny in a way to see is, and he makes this joke too, is we went from podcasting, which is in a way it's, it's not radio, but it's a more sort of sophisticated modern version of radio where people are just listening to the audio. hundred percent. Yeah. And then we do these live shows, which is what he's done for years. And then in front of an audience, and then now we release clips on YouTube. So right. It's sort of full it's circle weird. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, we're all going full circle. Eventually we're just going to be like, Let's just interview and put the whole thing on YouTube or put it on a show or sell it to NBC. (laughs) That's literally what's happening. Which I think would be hysterical. It's just so funny to see how it's just sort of going back to what it was. And I think because there's only so many ways people can consume entertainment correct either through your ears right or through your eyes and ears yeah. and so there's only so many way you could so many ways you can play with yeah that. but it's it's so exciting because for people who are listening when you like you said earlier when you're just available for whatever it is yeah then instead of thinking right now in order to break into hollywood i need a tv show it's like go start a podcast you know yeah. like you have a lot more ability to do that today. You don't need anybody to give you permission and look how that has come full circle. I was just reading article after article about the only things that TV producers and and developers are looking for right now are things that already have a digital audience, like a podcast being turned into a show. It's like, do you already, can you bring an audience from there over here? Thank God. Like (laughs) you're doing us a favor. Don't just tell me you're some like, you know, TV star. I could care less. It's like, you have an audience in digital So to ask you a little bit more about that, you know, you don't only assist from behind the scenes, like you're very much co-hosting a lot of these episodes. What does that feel like for you? Like, that's like a big, it's a big job. It's big. How does that feel? It's weird. You know, it's the same with my book. I stay pleasantly sort of ignorant about everything about it. Like, I don't know how many people listen to the podcast. I think right before one of the shows we did, our executive producer, Adam Sachs, gave me an idea. He's like, well, we have this many downloads a week and then that many downloads a month. And I was like, ah, that's a lot. Is that a lot? That is a lot. I don't lot, want to be right? conscious of that. Yeah. yeah. I was like, it's a lot. Is that a lot? And it's so funny, but when you hear numbers, it almost doesn't feel real. It's it not doesn't like, feel real. It's like, uh, okay, let's say you get like, I don't know, a couple million, whatever a month. I have no idea. I, I feel like it might be more than that. I can't even remember what he told me. That's how little I care. But I'm like, well, I'm not going to like suddenly in my head think, well, I have 2 million people that I have to entertain. And, and, you know, no, that's crazy. I, I, I don't think about it that way. So, you know, my thing is I go in, I have very little stakes. I did go into it. I was like, well, 
I'm not going to go toe to toe with Conan when it comes to comedy. Like, I'm not going to try to be as funny or even funnier than him. So that takes so much pressure off of me. And then we're on there with Matt Gorley, who's really great at improv and he's so quick on his feet. So I'm like, well, I don't have to do improv stuff either. So I just realized like my position, and I hope this is what it comes off as. I hope that when people listen to it, they kind of can put themselves into my shoes and be like, well, she's not, it's not like she's a comedian or a trained improv person and she's laughing a lot. So I, I, it's like, if they can just put themselves into my shoes, like I'm like the everyman in a way. But I think that's, that's, I, I honestly think that that has to happen. It's kind of like, you need peanut butter and jelly or else it's too much jelly. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there, there has to be that person who's like, I think, I don't know enough about anything to sound smart, but I think in science, <laughs> right, there's something with like a wire that like you need one wire electricity wise to do one thing. And then you need another one in the ground. Like there has to be a grounded wire or else okay. those like a, you trip the circuit. And I think yeah, comedy there has to be someone grounded. Like Cheryl Hines has become a friend of mine. She actually lives on my blog. So sweet. But I asked her, like, she obviously on curb, she doesn't get to be the zany one because he right. is. Right. But she's really funny. Yeah. Like she comes from like an improv background and all that stuff. But what what's needed from her is to not be so yes. that he's funnier. But he needs her to be able to let go of her ego and just show up. And she's happy to do it. She's having yeah. the best time. And it's like, I think, again, I think that the theme, one of the themes of this conversation is not needing it to be a certain way or not having an ego about it. Because how much fun is it that like, you don't have this pressure to perform yes. Yes. yes, and you get to enjoy these conversations. And by you being there, you make a space for them to be funny because that's needed. There has to be that other in order for someone to do that. And so it's why Carson had Ed McMahon. It's why Conan yes. had Andy. It's like, you need it. And so I love that you're, again, this humility of like, I'm up for it. There's just this thing with you, which is like, I'm available. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that one of the things that was for me is a really important turning point in terms of my approach to work was, you know, when I first got into TV, I was like, I want to make so much money. I want to be a boss. I want to be in charge of people. I want to like take over television. And then as time went on, I realized that was no longer the ambition or the priority for me. I think I got to a point where people would ask me, they would say like, okay, so what's your plan after Conan? And I'd be like, well, let me think. Like I, love going into work. On. Yeah. I, you know, I love going into work. I love the people that I work with. I make enough money to sustain my life and I'm fine. So I think that when I got to the point where I was like, I'm good, this is good. This is really good. Like this checks off all of the basic needs that I need from my job. Yeah. And when I got to that point, it was very liberating to not feel like I had to become a boss oh, that I, this is your to... next book, by the way, <laughs> I think this is your next book. I really think this is so huge. I think that we live in a culture where we don't even see it, but it's constant. Yeah. It's a feeling of like, Oh, well, your ladder is against that wall, right? Like you're at ladder 
step three and you know the goal is level 12 and you're like, no, actually, I don't want to have my ladder up against that wall. That is not a recipe for feeling fulfilled. And yes, the reason I actually started this podcast is because I used to be a uh, full-time, a singer songwriter. And when I first came to LA, I wanted to have a record deal and I got one and I got dropped from the label, which happens all the time, which I didn't realize. Yeah. And then I had another record deal and I got dropped. And then I decided, isn't there something else I can do in music? And I did for 10 years. I wrote songs for Grey's Anatomy and I licensed my songs. And I was one of those like cute, like Ingrid Michaelson types that for 10 years, I'd play the hotel cafe every Thursday night. And then I'd have a song. I've probably seen you. (laughs) Yeah, we probably, yeah. So then I have a song on Pretty Little Liars or Younger. I'd, oh my God, this this fall, I have two songs in a a McDonald's campaign and, and it paid the bills. And I got to a point where I was like, oh my God, I'm happy. Wait, wait, I'm not famous and I'm happy. Hang on, wait, I'm not on tour. I'm not opening for anyone, but I'm a mom. I'm living in LA. We just bought our first little Spanish bungalow house because I have a job I like. I was like, that is Eureka. And that's actually why I started this podcast because I knew so many people in LA who were miserable because they kept thinking that happiness was only in one package, which is you're the boss. You're the famous one. You're on stage. You have a spotlight on you. It's like, who said so? Like, yeah, not everybody wants that. Not, you know what I mean? So I love that you just said that. And I do think it's very possible that that is something that you're either going to say more of or write a book about because (laughs) there's a lot of there, there, there's a lot of well-being in choosing what you have Yes, and realizing that that's not a failure. That's a win. Oh yeah. Oh, it, it's, it feels so good when you finally do realize that. And I think that, I don't know if it's American culture or what, you know, I mean, I, when I see these conversations about, you know, things like raising the minimum wage, there's always that person who says, well, what have, are the burger flippers going to make, you know, $15 an hour in my, in my head, I'm like, why are we diminishing these jobs? Why are you in your Right. Like without that job, what do you even have? Yeah. How are you going to get your burgers? You know, and this country loves burgers and how (laughs) are we going to get it? And so I think that there's this, almost this sense of like looking down on certain people, looking down on certain jobs. And you're like, we don't need to do that. When I went to Japan for my honeymoon, there's something about the culture that allows people to take pride in any job that they have, no matter what level they're at. And that's just their culture. And so I think that something that people are constantly fighting against is this thing of like, this is who I have to be. I have to be better than that person, or I have to be more successful than that person. And you, they they do that to the point where it's to their detriment because they're compromising so much of their personal well-being because they're trying to reach this goal that might yeah. not even make them happy. So it's such a big point. I mean, it, it I, does, I, yeah, as you're talking right now, I'm like, this is a great pod. We're really podcasting right now. Like, I feel like people are like, I'm tuning in. This is deep, changing my life. It's so good. I want you to tell everybody where to find you, where to get the book, where to be a part of your world and all the musings and things that you put out there. That's really nice. So, you know, I wrote a book, it's called the world's worst assistant and it's available now everywhere. It has illustrations that my husband did actually. So if you're like me and you have trouble just paying attention to a book for a prolonged period of time, there's cartoons in it to break it up. But I think that, you know, if sometimes you feel like a mess and sometimes you feel like you don't have things together and 
certain things are outside of your grasp, I think this book is for you. I hope you'll enjoy it. And I'm on Instagram. I barely post anymore. I'm a mom of two twin boys and they sort of suck up all my time, but every once in a while I'll post something up. I'm not selling myself at all, but I, I'm really proud of my book and you should also listen to Conan O'Brien needs a friend. So amazing. That's I it. Love, I love you and your energy. It is just the funnest, most joyful. It's like a delight. I feel like just being around you, everybody gets put right back in the zone of like what's available, what feels good, like how it gets to be. And it's so fun to meet you and know that everything that I perceive just from witnessing it, listening to the content, watching the content, that you're really that. It's like, it's so rare and it's That's, such a gift to people. That's really nice. And you know what? And also I have to say for you, you had me think about things in a way that I haven't thought about them before. <laughs> I've done so many interviews for this book and this was by far the most sort of introspective one. So I, oh, that's such a compliment. And and I I love what this podcast is about. And I love the audience that you have, or I feel like are my people. So I'm really just thrilled to be here. That really means so, so much to me. This was the best. Go follow her. We'll put all the links to the book and to everything else. And just thank you for being such a delight. I just had so much fun. This was the best. Thank you so much, Kathy. This is awesome. That was so much fun talking with Sona. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, from the ordinary, things can become extraordinary. Number two, it's never about the job, the money, or the thing, or the praise. It's about who you become and realizing your capacity for more courage and belief and constantly surprising yourself and constantly showing yourself what you're capable of. That feeling of satisfaction is really everything. Number three, when we're busy enjoying our life and having fun, it's a jackpot. Number four, take a look at your job and say, Am I working with the people that I like? Am I doing something I enjoy? It's okay to prioritize your well-being. Number five, when you're all in, you won't believe how many doors open. Number six, step away from the tunnel vision of your plan. When you're open to anything and you're excited about it, that makes all the difference. And number seven, there's a lot of well-being in choosing what you have. It's not a failure. It's a win. Thank you so much for showing up and listening to this show. I am so sure that you have a million things you could be doing, and it means so much that you're here, that you're listening to these episodes. We have so many good ones coming up, so please make sure that you follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do love this show, please leave us a review and share it with a friend. Maybe you'll post about this one on Instagram, and you can tag me at kathy.heller so I can repost. And I have no doubt that Sona would love to see you repost. And if you want to send her a DM, she's at Sona, S-O-N-A, M-O-V on Instagram. I know that she would be over the moon to see that you enjoyed this conversation. So let her hear it. Finally, don't forget next week, I'm doing a five-day free workshop called Most Abundant Year. I'll be live every day, January 23rd to the 27th. If you want to be joining me, go to kathyheller.com slash workshop. Let's make 2023 the year, the best year. I love you so much. I'll leave you with this song and I'll talk to you soon. Joy!